Hi, and welcome to the final episode of Season 3 of the Functional Health Podcast. This week, I'm delighted to share with you my conversation with Seb Tucknot. Seb is an IBD patient, founder of IBD Relief, and author of the book, Tipping the Balance. I first met Seb at a culinary medicine event in London, and today we talk about his personal battle with IBD and how he turned his life around. So, without further ado, Seb, welcome to the show, man. Hello, thanks for having me. Hi, you're so welcome. It's, it's a real pleasure to have you on. It's been, uh, even though it's a bit crazy right now in the midst of the coronavirus. Yeah, it's um, obviously been nice to do this face-to-face, so... Um... We're getting there. We've had some technology issues, but it's, yeah. it's going to be good. Yeah, definitely. 40 minutes faffing around with the microphone didn't help, but um, we're on and that's what's important. That's what's important. Um, I actually really wanted to speak to you for, for such a long time. Um, I've said this before. It's always wonderful to see people informing themselves and really taking power and taking control of their own health, um, which you've done, um, and not just learning about like the things that you can do, but also applying that to better yourself. So I've introduced you a little bit before, but how did you control your um, IBD to kind of begin with? So if we go back to sort of the beginning, um, I was was diagnosed um, when I was 21. I had very much what I now know as an acute flare-up. So I had no symptoms before um, that I'd really recognized anyway. Um, and the first symptom I had was, was some blood when I went to the toilet, which obviously didn't think was normal. Went to, uh, went to my GP to sort of ask, like, what should I do with this? Um, at first they said that they might have a hemorrhoid. Um, so I was given some cream, but I didn't actually use it because I didn't want to, uh, go there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and my symptoms started to get worse. I started to go to the toilet a bit more frequently. It started to progress into diarrhea. Um, so I went back to the GP again. He said, okay, maybe this is something a bit more serious. I'll refer you to a gastroenterologist. But the waiting list, I think, was about six to eight weeks or something fairly standard. Um, things started to go downhill even more. Um, and I was going probably about 20 times a day to the toilet. Um, opening my bowels and there was a lot of blood um, so I went to went to A&E and this time I was seen by a doctor but again turned away uh, they they brought up a few different symptoms I, I was fairly con- convinced that I had ulcerative colitis at the time I had done my own reading and I was like my symptoms match I'm only two weeks in now to, to my symptoms and I really thought that I had ulcerative colitis I said this to the doctor and he said, oh, uh, he brought up some website or, or some tool to sort of check symptoms. He said, oh, mm-hmm. ulcerative colitis always presents with a fever. Um, do you have a fever? And I said, no. And so that was determined that I don't have ulcerative colitis. So I was sent home and things progressed even more. Uh, went back to any the week later. So this has been three weeks now. And now I was probably going 30, 40 times a day. It was keeping me up at night. Um, I was very dehydrated. And lost a lot of. I didn't. I was scared to eat anything as well. Um, and yeah, I went back again. This time, someone actually did an examination, which is the first time someone actually put their finger 
where I didn't really want them to put their finger um, to have a little <laughs> look what's going on. Um, and he, the doctor was like, oh, you've got mucus. Maybe you've got, maybe you have got ulcerative colitis. I said, like, okay, well, <laughs> I did say that to your colleague a, month, a week ago, but um, didn't think much of it. But once I, um, I said, they said, oh, we would have to like run some tests and mm-hmm. do, do a scope. <clears throat> so they tried to do some blood tests. Um, remember that was so dehydrated they couldn't even get the blood out uh i had to use a syringe to to draw my blood because <laughs> uh, i'd lost about 10 12 kilos by this time and i wasn't much bigger than i am now like that was quite a lot to lose i went from sort of 80 kilos down to just under 70 kilos in a matter of three weeks so they put me on a drip to try and get my hydration back up and then went for a scope the next day um and could see quite clearly that there was severe inflammation I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis and ended up spending nine days in hospital um, which was an experience in, it, in itself but had no idea what the disease was beforehand and didn't really have any idea what I was yeah what was going to happen f- from from there uh, I remember breaking down in tears after the colonoscopy kind of with relief that I finally found something that was actually well that they had found something so they actually knew what to do because I, my life was falling apart before that mm-hmm. um but then also the realization that okay i've read some stuff online and this is not going to be fun and i've got this for the rest of my life so how old are you when this is all going on uh, so i was 21 um mm-hmm. so quite young my parents were quite heavily involved so i was still living at home um so i remember quite a bit of the dialogue with the doctors was probably more with them rather than me um yeah. so but yeah it was i've never i've never never stayed in hospital before so to stay in hospital for nine days was uh, a new experience for me <laughs> Put it yeah. That way. yeah i can imagine i can imagine and for most people it's a fairly new experience for them anyway so at 21 it's very young to have that experience it's something which I didn't really appreciate before, and I don't think many people do appreciate the things which people with IBD kind of have to go through at this stage. And I didn't really appreciate it enough, I felt, until I read your book, Tipping the Balance, right? So what is a moment or what did they kind of start you on to, to kind of ameliorate some of the symptoms that you were experiencing? So in hospital straight away, they put me on... Uh, IV steroids, I think it's all IV, uh, so intravenously um, through a drip steroids, and that was started to bring the symptoms under control. I was quite fortunate they were quite concerned because the inflammation was very severe, and it was affecting my entire colon. So I remember them saying that I was probably about 24 hours away from needing surgery and having my colon removed, and that they had surgeons on standby waiting for me. So that was pretty scary, uh, and also thinking, wow, if I had, if I had been seen the week before and taken seriously, would I now be in this position? And if I do lose my colon, then I'm going to be pretty annoyed. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, like fortunately for me, the the prednisolone, I think it was prednisolone, whatever it was, the steroids drip, yeah. um, brought the, the the condition under control, and I started to uh, my uh, trips to the toilet started to reduce, the bleeding started to reduce. Um, and then finally when it was at a point where they were happy with it, they um, they said, oh, we'll switch you onto oral, uh, like a tablet, 
prednisolone instead. Um, so that's why I left hospital with. Um, but it was just, yeah, all I was always presented with was um, some medications to get things under control. And how did you feel at the time? Were, were there any side effects to that kind of medication? I don't feel I had many. Uh, the I felt like the steroids made me eat a lot, but mm-hmm. then I had lost 10 kilos. Um, so I was probably trying to like put it back on. So it's probably a helpful uh, was... side effect if it was one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I'd had uh, a couple of days in, or maybe two or three days in hospital where I was nil by mouth as well, where I couldn't eat any food either. I was just on a, on a glucose trip. So it was, yeah, I felt like a positive side effect. And for me, it was whatever would stop me going to the toilet, like going to the toilet 30, 40 times a day, having accidents, bleeding, like I didn't really care. I was like, I don't want to have that. <laughs> yeah, I completely feel for you. And what was the moment, because I know you, you kind of uh, control a lot of your symptoms through lifestyle interventions now. So what was the moment of your treatment where you thought something had to change? So for me, at first I was very much just the doctors are the people that treat me. I do what they say. I'll just take these medications. Uh, I remember a nurse uh, saying to me that she thought there was going to be a cure within 15 to 20 years or something. Um, so it kind of made me feel, I'll just take these, I'll just take these medications and we'll deal with the cure later. So I wasn't too, maybe quite naively, I was, wasn't too concerned about the side effects. I was just like, these drugs keep things under control and I'm happy with that because it's given my life back. Um, and they did a very good job. The steroids, there were some side effects. So I had sort of like mood, mood swings, uh, gave me quite really bad acne, um, sort of like insomnia and a few different things. Um, and you were meant to try and come off those. You're not meant to be on those for more than a few weeks, few months uh, at most. But... So is that kind of for flare-ups more so than um, maintenance long-term? Yeah, so they, they tend to use the steroids as a, yeah, as a, as a kind of a an acute flare-up. It's a remission-inducing drug. So the idea is to go on it, get you into remission, and then um, uh, either come off it completely or put you on something else that would... would uh, keep things under control and keep your remission. So I was also put on mesalazine, which is a fairly low grade anti-inflammatory. Um, and every time I kept tapering off the steroids, uh, I would flare back up again. So I went through that cycle, uh, repeatedly for probably about a year. Um, and then they decided to try me on immunosuppressant medication. So put me on azathioprine, mm-hmm. um, which I was really paranoid about going on because I read all the side effects and it, it, it I suppose in essence it kind of kills off your bone marrow uh, to reduce the amount of white blood cell production. Um, the doctor said it's to bring you down to a level that is then more normal. <laughs> like my immune system is too strong. Um, but I was, yeah, I was paranoid about getting ill all the time. And I remember, yeah, I, would, I would regularly get really bad colds and fevers and all kinds of different things. So I didn't get on with that very well and it didn't feel like it, I still flare up when I come off the steroids anyway. Um, so I went through that cycle probably for about four years um, on enough steroids, uh, tridazothioprine, 6 um, another immunosuppressant, and none of them seemed to really, the only thing that would keep me well is the steroids. Um, and the doctors didn't want me on the steroids 
long term. I was kind of like, I prefer to be on the steroids than have surgery. <laughs> so I just stayed on, stayed on the steroids. The, the interesting motivation to actually come off the steroids for me was actually I started, uh, I was inspired by the Olympics in 2012. Oh, yeah. Uh, so w when I was diagnosed, I was told that I wouldn't be able to exercise as much. Um, and that would have to be kind of be careful. And um, that was a big part of your life at the time, right? Yeah. So I've always been really active and like, playing football and things like that. So to be told that you won't be able to exercise was quite a big, big hit, particularly mm. at a young age. I mean, at any age. And see, so yeah, I was watching the Olympics. I'd done athletics when I was younger, uh, like 13, 14. <laughs> um, and I remember thinking, oh, I missed that that buzz of the start line and the, I don't know, just the the running side of things. I was a sprinter, and I decided to go back down the track and just see. I was playing football at the time, so I knew I was I knew I was quite quick. I was like, how quick can I go? Um, went down the track, um, and did quite well. I was actually quite fast. I think in my first season, I I was Sussex champion in. Uh, 400 meters and um, went on to sort of compete at county level. And so my mum is Finnish and in Finland there's uh, I think like 8 million people or that. Not, not as many, the population is a lot smaller than the UK. Mm -hmm. And I was having a look at their like records and they, uh, their fastest 400 meter runner was like only about like a second or something off my PB. So I was like, right. I reckon I can, I, I reckon I could like run for Finland, run for Finland <laughs> <laughs> in my life. I still haven't ever achieved that. I don't think I ever will. But, um, it, what made me realize there was I was on steroids and you can't be on steroids if you're competing at a high level, uh, cause they're a banned substance. So it was actually that that motivated me to go, I need to come off these steroids. And it was, in, it was interesting that the it wasn't the health reasons that I wanted to come off steroids. It was more that I wanted to compete at that level. Mm -hmm. Well, th that's interesting in, in and of itself. You're kind of having like a personal goal that you want to do and therefore you've changed the, the treatments that you're on to get there. Um, what was the, your kind of first change in that respect? So I was having a conversation. I think it was like a party or something. Uh, a friend of my brother's is a, an acupuncturist. Um, and I've always, I am a, big science geek. I've always uh, been interested in sort of science and things like that, and I've never really believed alternative or complementary medicine. Um, certainly didn't believe in acupuncture. Mm -hmm. And he was claiming that he could make me better. Um, and I was like, you know what, I, I should give this a go. Like, he, he was a really nice guy, and like, I was like, I'm going to try it. I've got nothing to lose. Um, so I tried it, and... He he took my pulses, which I didn't really believe as well. I was like, okay. He's like, I had too much fire and damp in my body. I was like, okay. Yeah, Chinese medicine you're away system is very different. Yeah. <laughs> you're away with the fairies, but um, <laughs> I'm going to bear with you. Um, so he said, because I've got too much fire and damp in my body, I need to have some acupuncture to, to relieve that. But also I need to stop doing things in my life that are fire and damp forming. Um, so he talked about my diet and said, uh, things like gluten and dairy and alcohol and nightshades and sugar, they're all fire and damp forming foods and stress. And we talked about kind of these lifestyle things. And I was like, well, if I'm going to give him a chance, I need to like go, go all in here. Um, so I decided to, to switch my diet and I, I, I took all these things on board. 
which I mean, stepping back up my story a little bit, um, the challenge for me there was my diet had become what I now know is to be pretty terrible. Mm -hmm. uh, I was eating, my diet pretty much consisted of entirely wheat, um, dairy, and potato and sugar. Like I would have two or three bowls of cereal for breakfast with loads of milk on it. I would have a brie baguette for lunch. I would have six cupcakes as a snack mid-morning. I would have a bag of Haribo. I'd have chocolate. I'd have a pizza for dinner. Like that was my diet. Is that because they were quite easy to digest or lacking in fiber? Or what was the reason behind that? Or maybe there was no reason. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Just an unhealthy person. Um, no, I mean, it's, it's a really interesting point. It's I was told by my doctor that diet doesn't really make much difference. However, some people find that cutting out fiber makes a difference to your symptoms. Mm -hmm. um, so I took that or like obviously heard that advice. And then I started to notice when I went to the toilet, I'd start to notice there would be remains of food in, in, in my stool. Um, so I'd, I'd, I'd have a salad or something and I'd, I'd find some leaves in the toilet and it's like, okay, hang on a minute. Maybe, maybe that's causing me to go to the toilet or I'd eat some grapes and I'd find like a bit of grape or I'd eat some nuts and see some nuts or, so it started to make me have a, started to make me associate those foods with my symptoms mm -hmm. and running to the toilet. So I was, I was literally like, I suppose I had a phobia of fiber um, and I didn't eat any fruits or vegetables, nuts or seeds for probably about three or four years because um, I was I was literally scared of them. I was convinced, I, I, I would always say this to people, I was like, if I eat a tomato now, I will be on the toilet within 10 minutes. Uh, and I would be, if I, if I ate those foods, I would be on the toilet within 10 minutes. Um, so my diet became this very bland, highly processed uh, kind of junk food diet because that's all I felt I could eat. So yeah, then when I was told I should cut out all those things, it was like, well, hang on a minute, what the, what the hell am I going to eat? There's nothing left. <laughs> You're telling me to stop eating all those things. So like, what did you kind of eat at that point? Because if you were saying, don't eat wheat, don't eat dairy, mainly what you've been talking about is wheat and dairy, cereal and milk and bread and cheese. So what? how did you how did you change that? And what was going through your head at, head at the time? I imagine it's really quite a stressful process. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm a bit weird, but I... I I think I was determined to like give it a go um, and I saw it as a bit of a challenge like I like a challenge um, so I remember walking around my local shop going okay let's look at all the ingredients I never even looked at ingredients before <laughs> like, okay oh no I can't eat that I can't eat this um, I ended up pretty much just with like rice and chicken I think mm -hmm. that was about or rice and like white fish because I also read that you shouldn't eat red, red meat as well that's also bad for your digestion so yeah I had rice and chicken was kind of very plain um but that was kind of my diet for a while and I also switched and I think this is an important point for anyone that goes through this kind of journey I I also switched to some gluten-free products as well so I tried to make a pasta dish with the gluten-free equivalent pasta or bought a gluten and dairy free pizza um so it was kind of trying to keep the things that i had become extremely used to in my diet and just replace them with the gluten-free alternative so mm -hmm. it wasn't too scary 
and I bought gluten-free cornflakes or something or gluten-free porridge and, and things like that. So it was, I was just taking my existing diet and just like, how can I make it gluten and dairy free? Okay. Just adapting it. So what did you find with it, with the outcomes, with the acupuncture and this kind of huge change in diet? So I found within about four or five weeks, I managed to come off my steroids and my, um, I came off the immunosuppressants as well. Um, entirely voluntary. I didn't talk to my doctor about it, wow. probably stupidly. Did you I taper didn't... or did you just come off them? I, so I, the, the immunosuppressants, I just stopped because you can do that. The steroids are obviously tapered. Mm. Um, and I had done it before and I was still taking the mesalazine, the anti-inflammatory. So I was like, I knew that was my objective. Like, can I just get back on the anti-inflammatories and nothing else? And I, yeah, I came off the steroids within six weeks and my symptoms weren't like, I wasn't completely in remission or I wasn't completely well, but I was, I felt like I could do it. Yeah. And that was quite a big moment to kind of go, okay. I think for me, it was every time I came off the steroids, I, I, I knew psychologically that I was coming off the steroids. So I was then kind of like, I'm probably going to flare up because I'm taking something away. Mm-hmm. Um, whilst and I, I remember saying to my doctor, like, can you give me a placebo uh, steroid so that I don't know when the tapering's happening? <laughs> <laughs> like, no, we can't do that. I was like, oh, but that, that would really help me. <laughs> Because I knew I was That's going so from eight tablets down to like half a tablet. And it's yeah. like, I know each day, okay, my symptoms are going to get a bit worse now because I'm coming off my tablets. Um, so if I could just take an eight tablets for six months and not knowing when the taper happened, I've proven fine. <laughs> but did you find um, when you were coming off them, did your symptoms kind of reduce? So they'd obviously flare up when there was a reduction in the medication, but then they'd would they come back down again? or They would stabilize a bit so i knew if i dropped a dose and i was also very aware that as you're tapering down you're kind of taking bigger jumps almost because you're going from like like i could go from like eight tablets to seven tablets to six and then so the percentage change is getting higher each time yeah yeah yeah. um so it's kind of like i could always get down to about four tablets three tablets and then i'd start getting twitchy (laughs) (laughs) um and yeah it would take a bit of time to stabilize the other factor in here, which I had noticed, was uh, stress. So I always felt like every time I was papering off, something stressful would happen as well, which would then flare me up. Um, I've run my own business the whole time I've had the disease. Uh, I'd always joke that my flare-up would come every payday when I didn't have enough money to pay everyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I had this four-weekly flare-up. Um, I think for me it was by switching the diet and doing the acupuncture, psychologically even even if they made no difference to me which i i believe they did um psychologically it was i was doing something else i was bringing something down but i was also putting something back in again and i think that was really important for me psychologically yeah i mean i think it's hugely empowering like how much that you move the dial but also empowering for people because you kind of just took your health into your own hands if you will i mean you did have help admittedly um but that's hugely empowering for people who might be in a similar situation to yourself. Um, and you said stress affected you quite a lot. And I imagine it, stress seems to affect everyone in this day and age. But how did you manage your stress? Um, was there certain techniques that you used? And did you find that that helped with symptom management? It's certainly, it's certainly something I do now. I kind of think back there. I mean, because this was all happening 
when was this 2013 so like seven years ago um it was it was a slow process so it was I, I changed my diet a bit um I then was maybe a bit more aware of it gave me it gave me belief that I could play a role in my health I suppose before that point it was very much just the only thing that controls my disease and my health was the medications I was taking. Mm -hmm. So by introducing these new factors, it was like, actually, I can play a role here. I can do something. Um, I don't know to what degree, but I can do something. And that was quite empowering and made me then go, like, what else can I explore? And for me, the big thing is, like, like I said earlier, I was, I'm a big science geek. Like, I wanted to understand, okay, I didn't believe that going gluten-free for instance was going to make a difference so I was then like intrigued to see like what was the science behind that like what why would it make a difference um so it sort of just started me on this whole journey of then really starting to explore the disease whether things I can do what other things can, can influence it um, and that's been going ever since and I'm still learning something every day now because you started um IBD relief Right. So what motiv motivated you to start that? So I started that it was about five years ago now. Um, and maybe so just about... an introduction as to what it is as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I started to improve my health. And so from about two years in, um, I realized that, yeah, I had I could play a role. I could control it. I had a big flare up. Uh, what was it? It was really oh, it, uh, I ended up having to make some some people redundant in my business. Um so it was a really stressful time. I knew it was a stressful time. I knew it was going to flare me up. But I was determined not to go back on the steroids. Um, and my symptoms got worse and worse. And like, I would never recommend anyone do this. Like, I, I took it to the point where I was going 30, 40 times a day. I was bleeding a lot. Like, I was in trouble. And I definitely should have seeked medical help. But I was too damn stubborn to, uh, to do that. I was like, I don't want to go back on these steroids because I know how hard it was to come off them the last time. Um, and I didn't know, I didn't know whether it was even like physically possible. I didn't know any other human in the world, never even looked, uh, whether it's possible to curb a flare up without going on some kind of treatment. Mm -hmm. And, and again, like, I really don't want anyone doing this. Like that was, I was risking my colon, I think doing this definitely, uh, I probably wouldn't do it now. It, um, it coincided as well. I had knee injury, so I couldn't run and I, I knew that training kind of helped me and help kind of relieve stress and okay that's interesting as well and I felt it got to one point as I like, I'm really struggling here and I was literally like tomorrow I'm going to take steroids because I was like I cannot do this I'm like I'm messing with my health now and I, I could really get in trouble here um and I, there was training that evening and I was like sod it I'm going to go even if I can't run properly I'm just going to like do some drills or just do something and I went and my knee hurt, but I still just ran through it. Um, and then that evening, my symptoms reduced. I, I didn't go to the toilet as much. And for me, it's in my mind, it was like, actually, you know what? I can do this. Yeah, that evening, my so I was going like 30, 40 times a day. And then that evening, I I think I didn't go until the next morning. And I was like, like something. And then that, it's just that it gave me that belief. I was like, actually, you know what? Maybe I can do this. Um, maybe my, maybe I can get out of this flare up without having to go back on steroids. And that was a big turning point. And that, I think within about two or three weeks, I was then back to normal again. And that was incredibly empowering for me. 
Uh, again, I really wouldn't recommend people mess with their health in that way. But for me, it was, yeah, a big understanding of actually I can, I can do this on my own, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So that's interesting. Uh, um, let's go back to, to exercise because that was a really interesting dynamic, I thought, in, in my head. It was like you couldn't do exercise because of your symptoms initially and then you found that exercise was hugely beneficial. So what were the other things that you did to kind of reduce your symptoms dramatically when you when you didn't want to go back on steroids? So I think at that time, for me, it was just keep my diet. Like I was still eating quite plain. I didn't have much fiber on my diet, but it was very much, yeah, like rice chicken uh very much what's called a kind of a low residue diet mm -hmm. uh, but still being gluten and dairy free so i was extra strict with that um and do you feel that really played a big part in it i think i mean whatever i did it worked uh i think the exercise i think I, now looking back on that time i know how much stress affects me and my disease so mm -hmm. by um, by doing something to relieve that stress makes a huge difference. And for me, sprinting was that, that thing. It was, it's, it's, it's kind of like a mindful thing. Um, because we, we talk about sort of mindfulness and the importance of like being present, but I think there's quite a lot of sport that isn't necessarily mindful. So something like jogging or even find like cycling or certain cycling isn't necessarily mindful. Like I still find I'm thinking about things or worrying about things. Mm -hmm. But for me, sprinting, when you're running at full tilt, you're concentrating on running at full tilt. And that's that's all there is. So you have to switch off. You have to be present. You don't have a choice. Um, so I think it's like a really interesting way of being mindful. Awesome. That's super interesting. And I know there's like, um, there's certain things which you do now and you speak about something in the book called, uh, is it called balance theory or the balance point? Yeah. So can you explain that and what it is? Cause I thought it was really good and I, I could try and exercise this myself now. So for me, I kind of coined this, this terms of my balance theory, um, is where I, f I now look at it, that everything I do in my life can either positively or negatively affect my health, not just my, my colitis, but my health in general. Um, so if I'm stressed, that's negatively affecting my health. If I exercise, that might be positively affecting my health. If I eat some, I don't know, junk food or, or initially it was like fiber for me, I, I felt that was on the bad side. Um, so I'd kind of like start to move, have things on my good side and on my bad side. And I saw it that as long as the good things outweighed the bad, then I would stay okay. So I kind of looked at it as, I kind of, I describe it now a bit like a bank balance. So if you think about kind of your income, every day you might earn, let's say uh, 200 pounds. If then you spend more than 200 pounds in that day, then you're going to end up with a negative balance. And I see health as kind of, you want to try and keep as much money in the bank as possible. So each day you need to be mindful of what your income and your outgoings are, um, whatever that is. So whether if you're, if you're earning 
100 pounds a day or 500 pounds a day or 1,000 pounds a day, you need to make sure you're not spending more than that each day. Um, so I kind of look at it now as like sleep is kind of the first thing. So if I get a good night's sleep, then I've started the day with 100 pounds or something. Yeah. Um, then I eat a good breakfast. That will give me a few pounds in my bank. Uh, if I then go to work and I'm really stressed, that will take away some some money. Um, so as long as I'm finishing that day with as much money in my bank as I started with, then that's a good thing. I always um I, I really like it because um I, I kind of consider things which give me health now. So if I if I go out and drink, for example, for a friend's birthday or something, or even on the weekend, I might have a couple of drinks with some mates. It's interesting to think like those things can't outweigh the good things that I do during the day so I know like if I won't eat right or if I don't exercise or things I will feel it physically and mentally so I really try and look at it that way now almost like a as a percentage scale like a constantly tipping scale it's yeah, really helped definitely. me for me it's, it gives me permission to do maybe some of the not so good things as well what would happen when I would flare up would be my balance would be okay like I'd be ticking along and I'd be spending about the same as what I was uh, earning. But then something would happen. So there'd be a project to work or uh, I would get ill or, or some, something would come in that would then disrupt, like either take away some of my income or increase my spending. Mm -hmm. And if then that was done for a period of time, then I would start to flare up because I'd start to eat, eat through my money and then I'd eventually end up in my overdraft. And I always see my overdraft is when I'm flaring, basically. Um, and you can liken it to, to money, like it's a similar kind of thing, like you you can get away with spending a bit more money every now and then, but it might be your car breaks down and then you've got to go into overdraft <laughs> or something <laughs> to, to spend that. Um, so that was what I saw was happening in the flare-up. And then I think for me, I saw medications, that's how I look at them now, it's almost like a little loan. So if I take a steroid or whatever medication it is, that's giving me a little bit of a loan to like top me back up again. Um, if I stop taking that, uh, stop taking that medication, then I'm not getting that loan. And if my spending habits still haven't changed, then I'm going to end up back in the same position I was to begin with. So once I started to sort of get my head run or like believe that this concept worked, it was okay. What can I do to either increase my income or reduce my spending? So what things can I do that's going to, kind of look after my health. So it was, okay, if I'm managing my stress a bit more, then I'm not spending as much. Or if I'm eating a better diet, then I'm bringing some income in or whatever those things are. So it gave me a huge choice of different things I could potentially do, mm -hmm. but also allowed me to mitigate against things. So if, if I wasn't a flare up, then it'd be like, right, I need to be more sensible. So I'd like try and cut all unnecessary spending. Um, and try and do as much as I could to like top up my health balance again. And that was what I think sort of brings me back out of a flare up. But also if I can then like prepare for things, if I know I've got a big project coming up, I can be like, right, okay, I need to put some more money in my bank to see me through that period. <laughs> I need to do some saving. So I'm a bit more sensible leading up to that project. So I've got a bit of savings to get me through it. Yeah. Or if I'm in it, I'm like, okay, my spending's higher right now because I'm stressed. I need to do some extra things to, to mitigate that. So I might take a walk or I might make my diet a bit more cleaner or whatever. Um, but again, it just gives me that flexibility. So it's like, 
you know what, I want to go out tonight and I'm going to have a couple of drinks and I'm going to have a late night. But that's okay because I'm going to mitigate it by doing something else uh, to sort of counteract that. Um, obviously, I can't do that all the time, but it just it gives me that permission to do it. I think a lot of people, when they get into the health journey, they you become quite obsessed with it and you're then scared to do anything bad. Yeah. Um, and that's just as harmful, I think. Do you feel that maybe you were like that at the start of your journey and now you've come through it? In terms of being scared about stuff. Yeah, or kind of like overthinking what you were doing. Uh, yeah, definitely. As I've become more experienced with it, I've I've become more relaxed about certain things and I've realized that some things didn't maybe play as much role as I previously thought. Mm-hmm. Um, I even diet, to be honest. I think um, I, I eat a very, well, what is a good diet anyway? That's a big question. But um, I eat what I believe is a good diet, but things like happiness and enjoyment and fun i think they're more important than diet and well again there's there's no i don't there's one thing again it's this balance it's like everything plays a role here you can't just do one thing i, I know so many people that oh my diet's amazing i and i eat a paleo diet or whatever diet you want to pick that's in fashion and they're like my diet's amazing but i'm still not feeling good and it's like well yeah but you're really stressed or you're not sleeping great or whatever that like you've got to do i kind of say it's better to be doing a bit of everything rather than being exceptional at one thing mm-hmm. yeah i would completely agree with that so like even if you have a perfect diet and you're exercising if you're not getting any sleep at all at night you're just not going to function yeah, um, yeah so yeah definitely agree with you there um, so I know we're coming up on time. I wanted to ask you the last three questions, which I seem to ask everyone that comes on the show. What is the biggest health change that you have made in your life and why? I don't think there's one thing. Okay. Um, I mean, after just, just what about. you said, then, then yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's a question I get asked a lot. It's kind of what one thing should I change that's going to make all the difference? And I, I don't think there is one. I break it down into you need to... Uh, manage your nutrition you need to manage your your stress but not just manage stress it's about the happiness and other things as well it's not um stress isn't everything you can be not stressed but not happy um sleep is pretty big i think if i was going to put such a hard there isn't there isn't one uh i think sleep was probably the biggest one for me that i realized made a big difference um and I think sleep is a really good gauge of your overall lifestyle. So if my sleep starts to slip, then my health will decline. But that's probably because I'm working too much or I'm stressed or I'm pushing myself. So I, I use sleep as quite a good gauge um, as to where my health is. So get get awesome at sleep. I would say that's probably more important than nutrition. People are still not quite happy with their health and they feel like they're eating a good diet. Like, sort your sleep out. Like, really, like, get awesome at sleeping. <laughs> I like that one a lot. Another one is, how do you think that healthcare can become more integrated with the kind of interventions and approaches that you've implement, implemented? The current healthcare system just isn't really geared up to... To, to really appreciating, I suppose, the importance of 
lifestyle on disease and health. So I think the biggest thing it could do would just be to appreciate it. I've had doctors in in, in my own experience where they, they've they've really dismissed the things that I do. Um, so I'll go for an appointment and they're like, oh, that doesn't make a difference. Like almost like, why are you bothering? And it's like, well, I feel it does make a difference. So can you please just acknowledge that? Even even if it's complete rubbish, which it's, I really don't believe it is rubbish, but um, just support me, support me here. Um, I think that would make a big difference. Um, I think overall healthcare could really do with looking towards um, kind of shared learning. So I know that the doctors and healthcare professionals have got such limited time with patients and that's really frustrating for, I think, both parties. Yeah. Um, can we be more efficient with that time? So if we're looking at talking to a, a patient about a particular topic, why, as long as it's not personal, um, why can't we do that in a group setting? So spend an hour with 10 patients rather than 10, 10 minute slots with 10 patients. Um, I think if we can leverage that, I think that would make a big, big difference to start with. And then last but not least, can you please provide the listeners, and I know that you've shared many already, three quick tips to help improve their health and well-being from today. So mention sleep. I think track your sleep, start to understand it. Seb? I gave you three really good tips. You've missed them. <laughs> I'm sorry, mate. The best part of the recording, gone. They'll be better now. They'll be better this time. <laughs> you get a second time. So three tips. I think I think the most important is that you play a role in your health. And there's so many different things you can do. And it's all about incremental steps. Don't try and do too much at once. People look at me and I think I intimidate a lot of people sometimes. who are like, oh my God, he like runs loads of miles every day which i don't people just seem to think that um he eats a perfect diet etc etc and like how can i ever be like that and it's like i started somewhere i mean like i said earlier i started off eating terrible diet and i was in a terrible state of health (laughs) um it's just do those tiny little things and integrate them into your life um i think that's that's a big one mentioned sleep before i think yeah get really good at sleep so I track my sleep with an app called Sleep Cycle, and I learned a lot that um, I think gives you a percentage score. Um, so when I first started tracking, I was getting like 50, 60% sleep. So I was like, where's the other 50 or 40% of my sleep going? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm losing some sleep. Because um, I always felt like I slept well. I, I felt like, oh, I sleep eight or nine hours. What more can I do? Um, but when you start seeing the quality of your sleep, you realize that there is more you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I know I can get 100% sleep if I want to. Um, and that's from, and I try and do that as much as I can, but life gets in the way. Um, and that's through like avoiding screens at night, um, making sure I've exercised throughout the day, don't eat too late, um, keep my room like cool and quiet and they really they sound like really simple things but like if you actually do them they do make a massive difference 
um, and, and being consistent with your with your sleep routine. Um, stress management wise, I think probably my third my third thing would be like really manage your like look after your mind. Your mind's so important, and I think. The things I've really noticed now that make a huge difference to me, it's um, getting outside um, and get moving. So I do all my phone calls now at work. I, I, I try and do those walking. Um, so it means I'm now getting like 15,000, 20,000 steps <laughs> on some days because I'm, and I don't even know, I've walked like three or 4K without even realizing because I've had a call for an hour. That's amazing. Um, and again, it's just integrating that thing today. We're all struggled for time. I think maybe not right now in the current environment. There's suddenly this opportunity where we have got maybe a bit of time. But for me, it's about how can I do things on a day-to-day -day basis that help my health, but aren't impacting on trying to live a real life in this kind of world. Um, I run two businesses. I've got a five-year-old son. Uh, like It's busy. <laughs> um, so how can I do, yeah, get my movement in? I do that when I'm making phone calls. I, um, I'll listen to podcasts when I'm making breakfast. I will try and like play with my son and like do little squats and like things like that. So it, it's like just trying to integrate these things into your day rather than trying to make them this big chore and this big thing that is then unrealistic and unachievable. There's some hugely useful tips, I think. Have, have you heard of uh, Daryl Edwards, like the animal animal moves guy? Cause, so I was speaking to um, like a mum the other day and he, she was saying how she like practices those animal movements while she's playing with her son. And I thought that's yeah. such a good way of doing it because yeah. it's like functional movement as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I started, so I've, never, I've been always been terrible at squats or like just squatting in general. Like it would hurt my knees and I just wouldn't do it. And then when my son was like one or like just starting to like move around he was like squatting perfectly i'm like oh god i have so it made me just start try and get down there mm -hmm. and now i can squat really well because i've just done it all the time it's just it's just practice you just got to um start somewhere and you'll get there i had the same thing um just whilst we've been in like covid lockdown i've actually decided i'm going to do 100 press-ups and 100 squats every single day just to see, like, if I've only managed it for like six days now, so we'll see if I stick it out for the entire time we're in lockdown. So, admittedly, this might guns. not happen, but, <laughs> but I'm just seeing like consistency if we can do it. Um, and those are kind of my movement breaks throughout the day as well. I find it really useful. It's it's trying for me. It's been trying to find things, integrating into your day, and trying to do like make movement fun. I mean, I, I love the stuff that that Daryl Edwards does. Like, it's for me like when I'm going through the street and there's like a little wall or something, I'll jump up on it and I'll, I'll walk along it and balance along it. Or I live near the beach and we've got like big rock groins. Like the, the, the best thing for me to do is just go and like run over those rocks and like climb on them and like practice my balance and do stuff like we, we've not evolved as humans to do hundred press ups a day. Like that never <laughs> yeah, happens. It's not a real movement. <laughs> um, Maybe we should just crawl. Like, well, yeah, try that. Try try crawl crawl from your bedroom to the kitchen or something. Yeah, like you'll it'll be. <laughs> it's about yeah, trying to just make it fun. Um, people look at me and go, "Oh, like you must go to the gym like twice a day." It's like I haven't been to the gym in about three years. Um, I just, I just yeah, just just move around. I mean, I've got some gym equipment hanging up there. I haven't done anything on that for about 
three years, <laughs> even though it's there. Like, the intention's there. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's trying to do stuff that's integrated into your life and stuff. Awesome. Well, Seb, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show, man. I've really enjoyed the conversation um, and you've certainly taught me a lot through the time that I've known you. Um, but before you go, can you please tell the listeners where they can find you and what exciting projects you have coming up? So you can find me on pretty much all social media, I think. Um, I'm most active probably on Instagram. Uh, you can find me Seb Tucknot. I think I'm the only Seb Tucknot in the world so i'm fairly <laughs> easy to find yeah. um our website's ibdrelief.com um, we've got a lot of information there for people with inflammatory bowel disease um and my book you can get on amazon it's called tipping the balance again if you search for my name sub you'll you'll find me <laughs> um and we've got some really interesting projects going on in in the IBD space, I'm really passionate about how do we improve the information and educations for, for patients, um, particularly with intellectual privacy. Perfect. And I'll put everything that you've spoken about in the show notes. Seb, again, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you, mate, and I do hope that we can speak again soon. Will do. Thank you very much. Thanks Take care, me. mate. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Functional Health Podcast. You can find links to everything that we talked about today in the show notes. If you have a second, please consider leaving a five-star rating on iTunes. It really does make a huge difference and helps get this valuable information out and reach more people. Don't forget to subscribe so you can stay up to date and know whenever I release a new episode. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or our website, and all questions are welcome. As always, thanks to Joss Aurelia for the editing and Alan Harper for his support.